Tonight's presentation is entitled, Deliver Me From Evil Expectations. Deliver Me From Evil Expectations. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn me to our opening text. And that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. You know, this theme this weekend is entitled, Deliver Me. A Freedom Church Revival. And, you know, this, this thought has been really in my mind about experiencing deliverance from many different things. And what we're looking at tonight is being delivered and delivered me from actually having expectations of other people upon us and being delivered from those expectations. And so, tonight as we go through God's Word, we pray that God will help us to experience deliverance. From evil expectations. Contrary to popular belief, freedom is not free, but instead it has a cost. And if you don't believe me, then just ask the parents who lost their only son fighting for our freedom. Just ask the parents who lost their only son fighting for our freedom. The little boy whose mom is not coming home from war, the price of freedom the young newlywed who got a military visit at her front door, the high cost of freedom. And if you would, I'm almost certain you'll see how expensive freedom really is. And the freedom in the spiritual realm of the spiritual world is much more costly. For to follow the beliefs of what you believe and the dictates of your own conscience, one must continually be fighting for one's freedom. For the freedom we experience is really our picture of God and the freedom He gives to us. Now, one of my, the churches I visited in Hawaii, um, I spoke on healing and in eating, healing from your past emotional wounds and being hurt in your heart. And I, after I gave my presentation, I made an altar call for people to come forward in this appeal. And as I made the altar call, people came up, and I remember this one couple, they came, and they stayed till the end as I talked to people one-on-one. -on -one. And as they slowly went away, I finally got to talk to this couple, and they actually had, were visitors from the mainland from Southern California. And he was a head elder, and she was very involved in the church, and they were very um, active in the church. And then they showed me that they were having physical problems. She was having some serious problems, some health issues, and he shared with me the problems that she was having. It was very serious. And then she said, I asked him, well, when did the symptoms really come upon you? He said, well, it came about a year ago. And do you remember when it really came bad? And he said, well, you know, actually it started where every Friday night it would come really bad upon me. And it would be better the rest of the week, but every Friday night it would come really strong, these bad symptoms. And I asked her, like, what do you do in church? And then I asked her, how many positions do you have in church? Because I've kind of seen this before. And she said she had eight positions in the church. And she felt so anxious. And I think of the quotation of Ellen White that says, nine-tenths of illnesses has a foundation in the mind, right? So negative emotions kill not only the mind, but it kills the body also, right? Guilt, shame, anxiety, right? Depression, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, all of these negative emotions, it kills you. And so you hold on to these negative emotions and it kills not only the mind and your relationships with one another, but it, it kills the body. And so I was, I was sharing with her and we were talking about this and finally we came to the root cause of why she was so busy in church. And she said, what it really is, is because I'm a people pleaser. I like to live up to people's expectations. So just dealing about quitting the positions in the church was not enough. She needed to deal with the root cause of healing from being a people pleaser. And tonight, many of us live trying to live up to the expectations of people. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. So as we go through this, may God help us to experience the freedom that he wants to deliver us from. May we, may we pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we begin this weekend, may be your words. We thank you for your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.
What is God's government based upon? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Notice the Bible says. The Bible says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. liberty. What's another word for liberty? Freedom. freedom. So wherever the God's spirit is, there is what? Freedom, right? And also wherever there is freedom, there is also what? God's spirit. In other words, God is such a God that he wants to pour out his spirit. In fact, God is here and he pours out his spirit. But the problem is that many times, the reason why there is no spirit, the reason why there's no revival in the churches, the reason why there's no reformation is because somehow, some way, there's people or there's institutions or there even maybe even church board decisions that's hindering the Holy Spirit from coming. Somehow there's something going on, or there's a person who's abusive in the home or in the church. Something's going on where actually there's that system that's structured in place that God is not one who say, okay, why is a revival going on in this church, but why is it not a revival going on in that church? The answer is simple. God is not playing favorites. God is not saying, okay, I'm going to bless you, but I don't like you that church, so I'm not going to bless you. Is that how God is? No, God is not like that. God is not a respecter of persons. So the reason why there's not that special blessing is that not because God does not come and pour out his blessing upon one church, but it's because something is going on. Something is going on in that church. Something is going on within possibly people, members within the church. Something is going on within that home. Something is going on with mom or dad where the person is hindering the Holy Spirit from working freely among that home or church. You believe that? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? We're talking about freedom here. And so where there's freedom, that's where the Holy Spirit is. In other words, God is a God of freedom, contrary to what we think. And God allows us freedom to choose Him or not to choose Him. What do you say? Amen? amen. That is the freedom He allows. And what happens is, is that when we play the place of God, and actually we decide whom God can work and who God cannot work through in the church or in the home or in the workplace or wherever it may be, or in a youth group, then we are the ones that hinder the working of the Holy Spirit in the churches, not God. And God gets the blame for why there's nothing going on in the churches, but that's not true. We're the ones to blame. What do you say, amen? Our God is a good God. God's way is a way of freedom. Satan spread lies about God's government being restrictive to be a Christian. But in reality, as you look at what, how God works in the Bible, God's way is actually the ways of freedom. The Bible says, you shall know the truth about God's government of freedom. And this truth shall set you free. What do you say? Amen? Amen. So turn me to your Bibles to Revelation 13, verse 12 and 15. Revelation 13. Let me just... Revelation chapter 13, verse 12. We're going to look at some Bible texts here about freedom and restriction. Revelation 13, verse 12. So Satan likes to say that God's way is restrictive, but God says that his way is a way of freedom. But notice what it says here, the image of the beast, which is Satan's ways. And notice how Satan works. Will the image of the beast cause or force people to do? Revelation 13, verse 12. Notice the Bible says here, and he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes or forces the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And in verse 15, the Bible says, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause or force, that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So here we have the image of the beast. And what is it doing is that this image of the beast is forcing. In other words, Satan's methodology is force, control, manipulation, guilt tripping, shaming, to get you to do what he wants you to do. That's Satan's methodology. And that is the way of restriction. But God's methodology is actually freedom. And that's what God wants us to do, is God wants us to experience the freedom. And that's why God will not pressure us. God will not force us. God does not want to manipulate us. Though we make God out to be a God who likes to pressure people and to force people and to manipulate people. But that's not how God works. 
God doesn't want guilt trip you to come to church. Can you hear amen? Amen? You know, you need to go to church like your brother does, right? God doesn't do that. That's not how God works. God is a total opposite. Regardless of how our parents treat us or say to us, that's not how God's character is really all about. So Satan, what he does is, he expects people, he pressures you to do what the people to expect you to do. In other words, you can't buy or sell unless you do what they expect you to do. And Satan controls people through the means of expectations. In other words, Satan controls us whenever we give in to the expectations of other people. But God wants us to be free from the bondage of always living up to the expectations of other people, free from the manipulation of other people, free from the slavery of being a people pleaser and always to make people happy. My question to you tonight is this. How are you preparing yourself for the future conflict? And how you prepare yourself for the future conflict is based upon how and what you are doing today in your home life, in your church, your workplace. There's a high cost of freedom. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 in your Bibles, please. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. How was Jesus treated when he was here on this earth? Let's look at Jesus' life for a little while. How was Jesus treated when he was here on this earth? The Bible says, He, Jesus, is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So here we have Jesus who actually had a beautiful character on the inside, and people did not follow him. People did not obey him. People did not listen to him. Jesus did not come in the way that they wanted him to come. He did not live up to the expectations of his family. He didn't live up to the expectation of the church. He didn't live up to the expectations of the community. Because he did not live up to the expectations, they rejected him. Look at the handout here from Testimonies to Ministers, page 64. It says here the Jews refused to receive Christ because he did not come in accordance with their, what's that word? Expectations. expectations. There's that word, expectations. He wouldn't fulfill the expectations of others. And this is the steps that what happened. The people had expectations of Jesus. And when they had expectations of Jesus, the next thing is that Jesus, he didn't fulfill the expectations. They want him to be the king, right? They want to raise him up to take Israel to national greatness. And then he didn't fulfill it. And then the people rejected Jesus because he wouldn't do what they wanted him to do. And they despised Jesus because he wouldn't fulfill the expectation, like it says in Isaiah 53, verse 3. And because he was rejected by the people he came to save, they actually broke his heart because he experienced sorrow and grief because of this rejection. Jesus paid a high price for his freedom. What do you say? It's a high cost he experienced to gain that freedom. Now I want you to notice that even though Jesus had done many miracles, that was not enough for the people. Even though he had raised up the dead, that was not enough for the people. Even though he brought a revival to the church, that was not enough for the people. Even though he had preached powerful sermons, that was not enough for the people. For Jesus had a problem. And his problem was this. He didn't do things the way people wanted him to do it. But it's because of this very reason that he was able to do so much in such a short amount of time. You see, if Jesus had done what everyone else had wanted him to do, he would have been like the rest of us. He would have been able to do all that he accomplished in his short amount of time in ministry. And beloved, I praise God he didn't listen to whatever else wanted him to do. What do you say, amen? amen? See, what that does is that when you start listening to what other people tell you to do, whether it's in a church, whether it's in the home, whatever it is, when you start doing that, not only do you lose your identity as to who you are, your own identity and belief system and convictions and everything else, and be controlled and abused by other people, but you become so busy doing what other people want you to do when you become a people pleaser, you become out of sync with God's will for your own life. Because you're so busy doing what everyone else wants you to do, you have no time to do what actually God wants you to do. 
I want to do what God wants me to do. What about you? What do you say? Amen? I've seen this. I guess in Hawaii, I, you know, we just transitioned. I passed it in Hawaii for 15 years in the Hawaii conference. And we decided to go full-time because we felt God was leading us to travel and, and share the messages on our hearts as a family. And I've seen this in, in the churches that I pastored where you know, people many times they felt that this was not what God wanted them to do. I know we just finished nominee committee and the new officers for this year, right? And we felt like, okay, you know, and sometimes it's so short-handed, we just get anybody or anyone to kind of get involved, right? Like, hey, can you please get involved here? And sometimes we guilt trip people, like, oh, God's calling, you know, you got to serve the Lord, right? <laughs> You're going to be blessed if you do this, right? And kind of twist you. And, like, and I can see, like, there's so many times. I had one person I knew, they had 16 positions. How are you going to do 16 positions? I kind of made a law like in our church. I can't make a law, but you know, but I say three positions maximum. Maximum. One big, two small. Maybe. But then I've seen the methods like people guilt tripping like, you know, hey, God's calling you. We really need you. I mean, because no one else is what? Willing or going to do this. But, and I had people actually say, you know, if I don't do this, then I'm not even going to be a member in a church if I don't get this position. But you know what? God is so amazing that I've never seen a church shut down because of the lack of positions. Have you seen that? But somehow I've never seen that. And even like in the youth groups, right? Like, oh, come on, we need you. I mean, oh, oh you got to come with us. Oh, come on, come on. This is kind of like a spiritual nagging, yeah? But, I mean, it's good to do it to a point. But isn't it come dangerous in a time where we can do it so much and we can guilt trip people to do service for God? But when you think about it, God does not do that to us. What do you say, amen? amen? God works in freedom and he grants freedom. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where freedom is, that's where God can really move. And I realize in my ministry, I know freedom is scary, is it not, right? It's very scary because if we grant freedom to even our youth, they may make mistakes. And that's what we're so scared about sometimes or many times. But you know what? If we grant our young people freedom, I don't know if I'm biased or not, but I really believe our young people can do amazing things for God. What do you say? Amen? Amen. I believe that God can use them in a mighty way, but I believe that many times we as adults, we get in the way of the Holy Spirit from moving among our young people. I really believe that. That's why Jesus said, it's better that a millstone was hung around our necks and we were thrown into the depths of the sea that we should offend one of these little ones. And that's what God was trying to say to us. That somehow this system of freedom that we're talking about this weekend, something's hindering the Holy Spirit from working in our churches. Something's hindering the Holy Spirit working among our young people. Something's hindering it. It's not God. And God cannot be blamed for this. If it's not God and something's hindering, then what is really the problem, right? There's got to be a problem. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, and you're expecting what? Different results. So how can we keep on doing the same thing over and over again and not think that something is wrong, that something needs to be fixed, that our young people leave the church? They leave the church for a purpose, and I believe that we as spiritual leaders and young people, that we need to see what God's method is and God's structure is so that we won't commit the same mistakes in our churches when we become leaders in the churches. I want a church that has the Holy Spirit moving freely. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Amen. And when we see this, God's going to work a powerful way within our churches. So what did Jesus do when he saw the people were going to make him king? You remember that? Notice what it says here in John chapter 6, verse 15. John chapter 6, verse 15. The Bible says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now you would think that, you know, at least he would think like, wow, I need to, you know, be a, a king so people can respect me more because I have this position and I can be used more for, for authority and help out the church and be a blessing. But he felt it wasn't good and he actually ran away. He went to the mountain away from these people. And you know, you think about Jesus. You know, he would be a terrible pastor in today's world. Do you know that? <laughs> Let me qualify that. 
You think about a Lazarus. In fact, I would be fired if I did what Jesus did. Think about Lazarus. The call came that he needed to come and heal him. And he didn't go right away at his deathbed. In fact, he waited four days after he died before he even showed up. Can you imagine the pastor doing that today? Can you imagine that? I mean, look at Jesus' method and everything that he did was totally contrary to a lot of things that's even done today. And yet he was so powerful. He didn't do what the people wanted him to do. And that was so powerful about Jesus. His whole life was totally contradicted to what even what we think how things should be done. People had expectations of what Jesus should do and what Jesus shouldn't do. And when he didn't do what they wanted him to do, they got angry and upset at what they believed he should have done. Do you think that happens in our homes? Not doing what other people, your husband, thinks you should be doing? Getting upset because you're not fulfilling the expectations of your husband? Maybe getting upset because you're not fulfilling the expectations of your wife? Maybe getting upset because you're not fulfilling the expectation of your parents. Maybe getting upset because you're not fulfilling the expectations of your members. Maybe getting upset because you're not fulfilling the expectations of the church board or what your position was required you needed to do or what other church members expect you to do as a Christian. Do you think that happens out there today, expectations? And the amazing thing about Jesus is that he listened to the expectations, the high expectations of his father, which I thought was very powerful. Now, what happened when he didn't fulfill the expectation? Look at verse 66. Notice the Bible says in verse 66 of John chapter 6. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. See, the formula is whenever people don't fulfill our expectations, we always get angry at that person if they don't fulfill the expectations that what we think they should be fulfilling. And when that doesn't happen, then in this situation, they no longer want to follow Jesus. His disciples left Jesus. Not the world, but his own disciples, part of the church, left following Jesus. I thought it was pretty powerful that they would actually not want to follow Jesus because they would not fulfill the expectations. And that's why we become angry with God. The reason why we become angry with God is because we expected God to deliver us. We expected God to save my mom from cancer, and she still died. And we become angry with God. We expected God to answer my prayer that, God, please, you know, don't let my dad lose his job, and he still lost his job. And we become angry at God the same way they became angry at God here in this text. We become angry at God when a four-year-old little boy is in the hospital from a drowning and pleading with God for two hours to save his life, and he still dies, which happened to my nephew. And because of the false expectations, you expect that, that God to come here and deliver. And what happens when he does not come through and he does not deliver and he doesn't come through with your expectations of what you believe he should have done? You become angry like the disciples and you no longer walk with Jesus. People have expectations everywhere. And the thing about Jesus is that he didn't live up to the people's expectations. And when he didn't do that, that's where the freedom was. He was free. He was in this world, but he was free. And that's why God moved powerfully through him in a powerful way. He depended upon all his power upon his Father. He said, I myself, I can do nothing. He depended upon his Father's power through prayer, and he depended all upon his Father's power to flow out through him, his Father's love to flow out through him to touch the hearts of everyone around him. And he was able to do powerful things because, why? He did not live up to the expectations of everyone else. And I can tell you within the church, many people live up to the expectations of everyone else around them. In the workplaces, people live up to the expectations of their bosses and everyone else around them. In the home, people live up to expectations. Expectations is driving this world. But God wants us to live up to his high expectations of you. But you cannot serve two masters. What do you say, amen? 
You're going to love one and hate the other. But God wants you to love his high expectations he has for you. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Look at your handout here. Notice what it says here. What is the unpardonable sin? Councils for the Church, page 81. What constitutes the sin against the Holy Ghost? Notice what it says. It is willfully attributing to Satan the work of the one. Holy Spirit. So the unpardonable sin it really is calling the work of God the work of what? Satan. Didn't they do that to Jesus? You're doing a great work, but you're doing the work of Beelzebub, right? That's how you're casting out these demons, right? Saying all the work of Jesus was the work of Satan. And that's the unpardonable sin. I'd gone to this new church that I was assigned to in Hawaii. And as I saw this church, it was actually, a, the young people was very vibrant. They were very on fire. A lot of youth and young adults, and it started to thrive. But I realized in the elders meeting, the elders were not happy with what was going on with the youth group because they didn't like the youth leader. So here you had the, you know, the head elder and the elder, and, and this is why I'm telling you about this whole message, really what's going on. I mean, this was the youth group that was, of the whole state of Hawaii, this was the youth group that was actually exploding. And I was privileged to actually be the pastor of that church, and I was so excited to be there. And here we are, in the, but then I was in the elders meeting, and I'm hearing a different story. And they were talking about, you know, bad about the youth group and the group, youth group leaders and going on, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, I started to say things, I'm new, so I can only say so much. But I started to say like things like little here and there. And finally they said to me, you know, they're not doing what is right. And I said, you know, God is really, I told him, God is really blessing this youth group. I mean, it's very powerful what I'm seeing here. Do you know what they said to me? They said, no, God's not leading that youth group. Satan is in charge of that youth group. And when I read this quote, I thought about that. And because of that, what they, they did everything in their power to stop it. And many times, they always went out. Are you following me how it works? So God is working in among these people. He's raised up a revival and reformation within the church. And what happens is sometimes the leadership, certain leadership, they may feel threatened by the, losing their control over the situation, that they don't have the influence within the church. And they try and stop the movement by calling it the work of Satan. And when they start doing that and they make decisions, then the Holy Spirit stops, not because God stops it, but because people get in the way and they play God determining where the Holy Spirit should work and where the Holy Spirit should not work. Can you hear amen? Amen? And what God wants to do is that he wants people to realize, wait, there is a method in the church, and the method is this, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What do you say? Amen? There is a freedom message. We have been given a freedom message within our church, a civil freedom, a religious liberty freedom that God has called us to freedom. What do you say? Amen? That we should grant people freedom. And that's why when Jesus, remember, is walking, and they said, and they rejected Jesus into this town, and they said, should we call down fire from heaven and what? Destroy those people. And what did Jesus say? Don't do it. You don't know what spirit you are, Right? And I see that happening. You know, we compete against churches. <laughs> Our church, no, we're not going to go to that church, you know. Our churches, you know, we just don't go to that church. Or our church is a better youth group, or their youth group, yeah, you know, we, they do this and that, but, you know, our church youth group is just the best youth group. But, you know, we don't know. We should never play God and determine where God is working and where God is not working. What do you say? Amen? Even if people disagree with you, we should always grant them the freedom. We should respect them and what they believe. Now, of course, they're doing things to hurt people and abuse people. We need to step in and stop that too. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Confront them with Matthew 18. I think that's very important. And beloved, we're coming to the last days, but there needs to be a system where we can allow people the freedom. And the problem is that many times we don't see or experience the freedom in our own homes. We're only doing in our churches what we've seen mom and dad do to us. Because of the high standards of our church, which I, you know, I agree in, 
But at the same time, because of the standards, we become very restricted. We start telling people, okay, in our children, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And we become very controlling in our own homes. Abusive. Forcing people. Controlling their behaviors and the individuality. And what happens when you do that is that you start doing that in a church. And we start doing that in a church, we become very abusive. Like the Pharisees. And God wants to do a mighty reformation within our church. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Amen. We should not be like the Antichrist, putting ourselves in the place of God, acting as if we are God. In other words, putting ourselves in the place of God, and then we're determining who God's going to work upon and how he's going to work as if a church board decision is going to determine and going to start a revival. And I've been to a lot of meetings in my ministry. I mean, unbelievable meetings, type of meetings. But I realized this, and I thought I could do it before. I thought we could change the whole church from the top down. But you can never legislate or vote a heart change on the inside. Did you know that? Did you know that? You cannot vote a heart change. You can vote a program. You can vote an activity. You can vote in an evangelistic meeting, but you cannot change the heart by a vote. And I realize, I feel like, okay, I'm kind of in my prime here, you know, kind of like not new, I, I don't know anything, no experience, but I have energy. And I'm not old, I have no energy, <laughs> but yet I have a lot of experience, which is good. But kind of like in the middle, you feel like, okay, I don't want to go another 20 years and doing the same old thing, thinking that we can vote a revival and reformation. Are you following me? What do you say, amen? Just going through all these committee meetings and board meetings, and I happen to be on the conference executive committee, you know, the modern-day Sanhedrin, they're calling it. <laughs> so I thought that we could actually vote a revival. I, I could change the church. But even if we got a vote going our way, I realized this, and I'm saying this to you young people. Maybe it'll save you some years in your life, your ministry. It's not found in board meetings. You know what it's really found in? People. People. I mean, the foundation is prayer, Bible study, and infilling of the Holy Spirit, right? But it's found in people because that's what the Ten Commandments is all about, right? The last six relationships. First, relationships, first four, is relationship with God, right? And the last six is relationship with people, right? And so that's what God wants us to do. And that's where our energies, I believe, really needs to be. We need to invest our time in our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? And that's when the revival is going to start. And we must get out of the way of the Holy Spirit. You know, if we would get out of the way of God, God's going to do a mighty work in our churches. What do you say? Amen? And I'm just telling you from my heart. I'm telling you from my experiences. I'm just telling you from what I tried so hard to really start a revival in our churches. But I realized that unless there's a change in actually how we treat one another, and unless there's a change in how the structure is done in the local conferences, but also specifically in the local churches, because you have a lot of autonomy there, we must grant freedom. And when there's freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's going to be freedom. And where freedom is, God's Spirit is going to be there. And I'm telling you, you underestimate the power of how God can use you. And I'm realizing that. I praise God for traveling because when I go to different places, and I like joining like the youth groups for like Bible study on Wednesday night and Friday night. And you know, I've been actually creating my sermons based upon lay people's, young people's thoughts in sharing these Bible studies. You underestimate how God can actually use you. And what I believe it is, is we come to the world in history, a time and today where things have actually changed and people put too much authority in the professionals. But this movement was not started by professionals. Can I hear amen? Amen? It was started by young people who believe in the word of God and follow it all their heart. And God did a mighty work. I want to see that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? So going on that thought, John chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. John 7, verse 14 and 15. You know what the Bible says here? It 
John chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. Now the Bible says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How nor this man letters, having never what? Learned. In other words, he was never learned. He never went to our institutions. He never went to our universities or colleges. But yet he's so intelligent. How did he know so much? He has no degrees, no formal education. In fact, notice what it says here in this quotation from Desire of Ages, page 453 inside of your handout. Desire of Ages, page 453. Notice what it says here. All wondered at his knowledge of the law and the prophecies. And the question passed from one to another. How know this man letters having never learned? No one was regarded as qualified to be a religious teacher unless he had studied in the rabbinical schools. And both Jesus and who? John the Baptist had been represented as what? Ignorant. Forgive me the word, the stupid word, the S word, stupid. Ignorant. They called Jesus ignorant because they not have received this what? Training. Training. Now it's pretty strong words to call the greatest prophet that ever existed, John the Baptist, ignorant. As if that was not bad enough. But then to go forward and call the creator of this universe, the God of this universe, as ignorant because he did not get the former training because he did not go and get that degree. Can you imagine that? And I can only think about, you know, and let me talk about degrees, okay? So, so let me tell you I'm not some, just crazy, okay? So my family, and this is how it is when I'm growing up. So my brother, you know, he went to MIT. My brother went to, um, became a doctor. I have eight in our family. My brother went to, became a doctor and has taught at Harvard Medical School for over 20 years. So my wall, when you walk into a home, it used to be the whole hallway was, when you walked out, I had all degrees, it's plastered to the whole wall. I think after a while, I was so frustrated, like, I took down my degrees and I framed my baptism certificate. <laughs> and I put the nicest core frame from Hawaii, which is really nice. So everyone had the regular black frame, you know, and I put that up on the wall. And then I did my, when I graduated from, I guess, um, in Bible college from pastoral ministry, they had this um, scriptural quotation they gave me the degree, but they gave the scripture quotation of a calling. I took down my degree and I put up the scripture quotation. I framed it like with, actually with matting, like really nice double matting with core frame. So like it stood out. But you know, I think my mom got tired of it. And after a while, she just took it all down. All these honors and degrees. That's where I'm coming from, okay? Before I say this. So the powerful thing about this is this, that Jesus could have gone to Andrews and gotten that degree just to satisfy their expectations, but instead he chose not to. And my question to you is this, if Jesus was here today, would he be allowed to teach in one of our universities? If Jesus were here today, would he be allowed to pass in one of our churches? If Jesus was here today, would he be ordained? Is my question. And my next question is this. Say you were a leader in Jesus' day, would you allow Jesus to teach being that he didn't have any degrees? Is my question. And my last question to you is this. Do you disqualify or look down upon people because they don't have a formal education, they don't have a prestigious position, or they don't have letters behind the name? Great Controversy, page 606. Thus the message of the third angel will be proclaimed. As the time comes for it to be given with greatest power, the Lord will work through humble instruments, leading the minds of those who consecrate themselves to his service. The laborers will be qualified rather by the unction of his spirit than by the training of literary institutions, universities. That's powerful. You know, when we came to the church, my brother, you know, my older brother and sister, they were already out. My brother's in, gone. And you know, it's the powerful thing that when we're starting our school, the prophets that we've been doing and following the principles, 
and he, you know, he's still a Catholic. He finds out what we're doing, and he's so impressed. This is the world. He's so impressed with what we're trying to do in the school, the profits of, you know, the training following the book Education of Ellen White. He's so impressed. He makes donations to the school. Isn't that crazy? All God needs is a willing heart. What do you say? Amen? Amen. But guess who disqualifies people from working for God? You do. Because I'm not a professional. I can't do that. That's the pastor's job. Well, I, I could never do that. I, I just can't do that because I never got formal training. I couldn't do that. I never went to these literary institutions that maybe Jesus went to or John the Baptist went to. I never went to one of these schools or rabbinical schools. I just never got the theology degrees. I just never got these. I can't do that. You look at throughout the whole Bible. Go back and do a study in the Bible in the spirit of prophecy. But go back in the Bible. Even when Jesus, even when Jesus was dead and the disciples came in, they were doing a great work, right? And normally when they're doing a great work, it's the pastors that preach and the lay people get converted, right? But here's the difference. Here's the lay people preaching. and says many of the priests came into the faith. Here was the, the lay people preaching and the priests were becoming converted. What do you say, amen? The pastors were becoming converted. See, they had turned the whole world was upside down. They had realized, wait, the movement is within people who are willing to be used by God. What do you say, amen? amen. They'd be willing to be used by God. And the, the problem in the church is not so much the church. The problem in the church is you and I. And the question is, do you believe that God can do great things through you is my question. What do you say, amen? amen. The reason why he, God does not do great things is not because God's fault or everyone else's fault. It's because we're living up to people's expectations, what they expect, what you can do and what you cannot do. But if you would have believed that God can use you in a powerful way, you don't really need all these different things, but you can trust in the divine power of His Holy Spirit in your life. If you would just believe, great things are possible to them that believe. And He will use you. But don't let the system of the world control you and hinder you from your expectation that God has for you. What did Jesus do when His mother and brothers wanted to see Him? Let's go to another text. John chapter 11, verse 50. What is the reason why they wanted to kill Jesus? You look at your handout right before we go there. Notice what it says here about Jesus and his, his family. Long had they looked for a Messiah who would exalt and glorify them as a nation. Spirit of Prophecy, volume 2. And now that their expectations were not realized, they refused to receive him as their redeemer. Even his chosen disciples were becoming impatient that he did not assume temporal authority. And his relatives were disappointed in him and rejected him. In other words, Jesus' own family rejected him. You see, Jesus' family was not only disappointed in Jesus, but they also rejected him. Why? Because he did not live up to their expectations. And unfortunately, there are many young people today who are fulfilling the expectation of their parents rather than following the dictates of their own conscience and doing what God wants them to do. I have many friends who have drudgingly entered into profession just because the parents want them to be a dentist. The parents wanted them to be a nurse. The, the parents wanted them to, to be a doctor. Do you know anyone here? Does anyone here know anyone like that? <laughs> yes, we are to honor our parents. What do you say? Amen? Amen. But at the same time, there's an age of accountability with God in which we're to find out from Him, God, what our life-calling career is to be. What do you say? Amen? Amen. In other words, we are not to fulfill the expectations even if our, of our parents. If that's not what God is calling you to do. You're to fulfill the calling that God has called you to do. I had a friend, a very good friend of mine. He went to a medical school. He worked all those four years pre-med. He went freshman year, and he did very well. He finished sophomore year. He went to junior year, he finished. He went starting to senior year. And then he came to a realization, this is not for me. What did he do then? 
And then his girlfriend was also in medical school with him also. And two years earlier, she had dropped out when she was a sophomore. Can you imagine the parents now, what they're thinking, right? Something about how we worship medical doctors today, isn't that true? <laughs> like my brother, you know, just like, I mean, you can never be good enough. It's kind of like, you know, like somebody going to that church and they go, hey, um, hey, how's your son doing? He goes, oh, he's not going to church anymore. And they go, oh, I'm sorry, that's too bad. But the mama go, oh, but he's a doctor. And they go, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that how it is? So he decided to drop out. So he went to the dean of the college. And I respect this dean. And he said, I want to drop out. And you know what the dean of the college said to him? Wow, good. More power to you. I wish more students would do what you did because majority of them they don't drop out, they just continue and they finish up. They just want to fulfill the expectations of everyone else. And you know, I thought about the parents, especially his in-laws, that they got married. They were so upset at both of them, the parents would not even talk to them at all. The, dad, the father-in-law wouldn't even talk to them for a while. Kind of almost like disowned them for a while. You think that could happen? And I'm not talking about outside of our church. This is inside of our church. And the powerful thing about Jesus here is that he did not live up to the expectations of his own family. And that's why they were disappointed in him and they rejected him. Beloved, where are you today? Are you in a profession or educational track simply because you're fulfilling your family's expectations? Are you where God wants you to be? What do you say, amen? Where are you? God kind of blesses church if there are people in the way hindering the Holy Spirit. Even if that church is preaching the most powerful, truth-filled messages, for there must be freedom in order for the Holy Spirit to work. And revivals will only happen Whenever there is freedom, but they will die whenever there is control. Look at your handout, the quotation here. The Jews refused to receive Christ because he did not come in accordance with the expectations. The ideas of finite men were held as infallible because hurry with age. This is the danger to which the church is now exposed, that the inventions of finite men shall mark out the precise way for the Holy Spirit to come. In other words, the danger of the church is that we're going to say, the Holy Spirit, God, can you can only work to this specific way. You cannot work this way. And when we do that, we're the ones that cut out the Holy Spirit. When you say that God can only work to a specific people, and I think about, you know, people in ministry, how God has raised up these people. And like, it's so sad to see that leadership sometimes, they want to hinder the Holy Spirit from working to these people, even though they have already been proven that God has used them in ministry. What do you say, Amen. And man has no right to hinder what God has already been doing. If it be of God, you can do nothing to stop it. If it be not of God, it will come to nothing. So let us be about God's business for us. What do you say, amen? You know, when I first started pastoring, I didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, I thought I knew everything, but I didn't know anything. Really, I didn't know anything. And so here I am, and we didn't know anything. And we're so, I guess that's good because, I mean, we thought we knew everything, but when we went out there, we realized, oh, this is too big for us. I mean, you're not ready for what's really out there. And when you finally get out there, like, oh, I don't know anything. But it's good because isn't there times when God actually works the most? When you've actually been passing for a while, like, oh, man, I got the hang of this thing. And then you wonder, where's the Holy Spirit again, right? But it's actually when you don't know anything, like when you don't know how God's going to work, that's when God actually, he works in such a powerful way. And so here we are at this church and the conference president was, was going to shut it down and the previous conference president was going to shut it down. 
And when I first went there, I kind of sneaked up and I tried, I'm going to sneak in this church. I had two churches, right? A district. So I snuck into the church and make sure they wouldn't see me. I thought they wouldn't recognize me, but you know, I had less than 10 people there, so of course I'm going to stand out, right? So I'm trying to hide. Hey, are you the new pastor? Like, oh, okay, I am. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and less than 10 people, like, oh, man. I honestly, it was like an older church, and like, I was so discouraged when I went to the church. And this is my first year in ministry. I was, I was like, oh, man. And then I went to this other church, and was, man, this was a beautiful church. I mean, lush Kohala. I mean, this is beautiful. Um, it has a nice church school, and it's really nicely renovated. I'm like, oh, man, this is a beautiful church. And God's going to move in this church. This is so beautiful. <laughs> and this other church is like old church, and like, you know, like, oh, and less than 10 people. Like, I actually was, I remember saying this, oh, God, why did you bring me here for it? And I was serious about that. But then I realized something like, okay, wow, these people, they're so broken and humble, like it seemed, and like, oh, you can have whatever you want, <laughs> they told me. Just help us. Whatever money you want, you can have it. You can have the whole bank account for the church. Just help us. I'm like, okay. <laughs> God's going to work through this church. <laughs> it doesn't matter the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Right? So I kind of switched. I was so excited. Um, this is my first church. I couldn't wait to work through this church. And this other church, you know, God looks at the heart. So on the outside, like, man, this church is so beautiful. Had the church school. And God's going to bless. And I found that they were very resistant. So I went to this church. I saw to put my energies in this old-looking church that was going to die. And two conference presidents going to shut it down. And I was like, okay, God, we're going to put everything into this. I started putting Bible workers in, and you know, Peter Gregory came down and worked for two years in Hawaii with me for running programs. And, and God worked miracles in that church. And he started to bring baptisms and um, just started to revive that church. Actually, the first crusade that we did, and uh, uh, the person I got to baptize, one of them, her name was Yvette Takamini. And I actually eventually married the person I baptized, and she's right there with the camera right there. So I love evangelism. What do you say, amen? <laughs> so God started to do a great work in his church, and it was, it was like Holy Spirit was pouring pour down and working in a powerful way, and, and we're getting excited, and the, the tenants started to really grow. And things started moving, and we started to remodel the church, and we were so excited, and I don't think I've ever seen God work as I've seen him work that. And, you know, even I talked to Peter, like Gregory, he told me the same time, I've never seen God. It's such a powerful experience as back then. we never seen him because we didn't know anything. He came out, out of school teaching. I just came right out of school, and we just kind of worked together, and, like, we didn't know anything, you know? I just remember the things we were doing, even anointing, like, you know, we didn't know how he poured over the head, you know? <laughs> Don't tell Peter that, okay? <laughs> but we just kind of, we didn't know what we were doing. But because of the, we didn't know what we were doing, God was really moving because we didn't know what we were doing. But God moved in such a powerful way. And because God was moving in such a powerful way, because there was freedom, that's what I realized. There was freedom. The Holy Spirit was working. Let's get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit work. Until the head elder and the wife, the treasurer, they called a special board meeting for me. So I went in and expected it to be exciting. And it turned out where they all began to yell at me and scream at me. Like, why are you doing this and why are you doing that? And it cut all expenses. And that's the first time I ever cried in a board meeting. And I cried in front of them and apologized. And I didn't know what was going on back then. Now I can see it. They wanted to keep control of their church because it's getting too big and too many people are coming in and they're losing their control. And you know, in pastors, we call them patriarchs and matriarchs. Have you ever heard of that before? I mean, see, how many of you heard of that before? Patriarchs and matriarchs? They like to control their church. They like things to be done. And you know, they, they have patriarchs and matriarchs not only in churches, but they have them in the homes. Do you know that? <laughs> things got to be done exactly your way or their way. It doesn't matter where it's found. In the workplace, the boss wants it done his way. They like to micromanage it their way. 
it's the spirit of the Antichrist. It doesn't matter where it's from. They didn't want me to do things, and they were trying to shut it down, and they called the conference on me. I mean, when you're not ordained at that time, and when people call the conference, that's like the, the worst thing that could ever happen to you, you know? So they're calling the conference on me. They know I'm not ordained. So they start to hinder the work of God. And um, I was really discouraged because I actually went to a, had a North American Division ministerial conference, asked his ministerial director for advice because I had went against this patriarch and matriarch and said, I'm, I'm going to fight them. And so it got really ugly and everything. And then like, oh, okay, God, I got to do this for the people. It's not about me. You know, if I lose my job, I lose my job, but it's for the people. So I started to kind of go against them. And, and I realized it wasn't working. It was getting worse. So I, you know, I finally went to the uh, ministerial director and I asked for, at that time it was for the North American Division or General Conference. And I asked him for advice, and I said, I told him what happened, and he said, you know what? Never, ever go against the patriarchal matriarch of the church. And I'm like, oh. And I told him, I already did. <laughs> and then he said, what well, is one hope for you? And he said, you just got to stay close to your conference president. And I'm like, oh, man. I went against him too. <laughs> and so like, I was so like, I felt so hopeless. I mean, I went back to my church and I'm like, oh man, I was so discouraged. I'm like, oh man, there's no hope for me. I, I fell into a depression because I, like, it was hopelessness. I'm like, there's nothing I can do. And finally, God gave me the courage and I, to shake off my depression. And I said, who are these uncircumcised Philistines? to defy the armies of the living God. <laughs> and so he went against these, these people, and then let me tell you what happened. God worked miracles and miracles and miracles, and he worked it out, and, you know, they actually ended up moving to another church because there's so much people that come into the church. It was a whole new church, and they took all the leadership, and after a while, they became the church board, and they outnumbered even these few people that were on the board before. Isn't it a miracle? What do you say, Amen. And I think about Jesus, and I think about abusers in a church, and we have this false concept that, hey, the love is that you got to love them, you got to forgive them, let them do what they want, make them happy. You ever heard that before in a church? But the very people you're trying to make happy are the very people that's actually hindering the Holy Spirit from working in that church. They're the patriarchs and matriarchs controlling, and once they're controlling everything, God cannot control His people because they're stopping God from coming in with His Holy Spirit. But once they're taken out of the way, that's when the Holy Spirit was moving in a powerful way in this church. I've never seen anything like it. And the only difference I can see that there weren't people in the way hindering the Holy Spirit from moving. I want us to realize that. That we need people to stand like Daniel. What do you say, amen? Yeah. We need people to stand like Jesus. You know what's so powerful about Jesus? Everyone was telling Jesus, shh, Jesus, don't say anything. Don't, don't say that to the Pharisees. What are, you do, what are you doing to the leaders? And it's, what are you, shh. And then Matthew 23 comes, and he calls them treacherous vipers, white sepulchers. I mean, that's pretty strong words. The powerful thing about Jesus was he was not strong against sinners, those who were abused. He was their friends. He hung out with them. And that's powerful. The powerful thing about Jesus, not only that he hung out with sinners, the powerful thing about Jesus is that sinners want to hang out with him. That is powerful. When sinners want to hang out with you, that is powerful. And God uses it to convert them, that is powerful. But not only that, but when it came to those who were abusers, who were hurting those who were being abused, when it comes to abusers in the church, that's when Jesus was strong. When it came to like the abusers of the Pharisees and stealing widows' houses and money and all that and, and actually abusing all these people in the church, he was strong with the language toward them. Not only that, but even inside the temple when abusing the poor to sell offerings for high prices, right? He would throw up over the tables and he was confronted with abuse. He wasn't like, shh, just let them go. Let them do what they want. Not realizing that that's the very means by which the Holy Spirit was being poured out. And that's why I believe that God's going to do something in these last days. 
Now, God's going to work in a way that's contrary to all human planning, right? It's going to look as if he's going to take the reins into his own hands. He's going to work contrary to human, how things are normally run. He's going to do the opposite. It's going to be a movement again as we were started off over 100 years ago. What do you say, amen? When did Jesus die for us? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. So closing text. Those are the saints here. Those of you who know me know I love this text. But God commends his love toward us in that while we, we were yet, what? Sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us and thus revealed his love for us while we were yet sinners and failures. In other words, Christ loved us, respected us, accepted us, and died for us before we fulfilled any of his expectations of us. What do you say, amen? amen? That's how God works. In other words, if you don't come up to God's expectations, guess what? He still loves you and accepts you. What a God, amen? amen. But that's not how the world works. In other words, you have to come up to their expectations first and do what they think that you should do first, and then they're going to open their arms and accept you. Oh, good job, well done, right? And then they're going to love you. But that's not how God works. And I thank God he doesn't work like that. What do you say, amen? And that's how God wants to change us. Whenever someone surrenders their heart to God, Satan attacks them with his arsenal of expectations. He has expectations of making a lot of money. He has expectation of having a prestigious job. He has expectation of having a nice car. He has expectation of looking and dressing good. He has expectation of having to be someone you are not. And it's sad to see that we're so busy chasing these expectations that we have no time for our God, no time for our families. And no time for our children. And God wants to change these in these last days. What do you say? Amen? The Freedom Revival Weekend is for us to discover or to rediscover the freedom that God has already given to you. In other words, God is giving you freedom. God is giving you freedom. And even the United States Constitution recognizes that. Freedom is not something that the government gives to you. Freedom is not something that God gives to you. God has already given it to you. That's why in the Constitution of the United States says we have certain inalienable rights. In other words, inalienable means comes from within. Inalienable rights from within that no one can take away. In other words, the government really doesn't give you freedom. You have freedom to choose what you can choose and they ought to recognize it. What do you say, amen? That's what religious liberty is all about. When it comes to a point where it comes where the law goes against God's word, then God gives us the, the duty to follow his word because you have the right to choose to follow his word. What do you say, amen? amen? And the final crisis is going to come down to that. Will you choose to follow God regardless of what the law says? I want to follow God. What about you? What do you say, amen? amen. Why? Because he loves me and he accepts me where I'm at. We serve a wonderful God. At this time, I'm going to have... Cece's going to sing a song as reflected of this whole conference, God does not guilt trip us. God does not manipulate us. God does not force us to do things, even if they are right. And if God does not use these wrong methods upon us, then why should we use these wrong methods upon other people? What do you say? Amen? God grants you freedom. And that's what God wants us to experience. Tonight, Cece sing this song called Deliver Me. I want to experience true freedom. How about you? What do you say? Amen. And say, Lord, if you want to say, Lord, tonight I want to experience true freedom from the love of my own comfort, from the fear of having nothing, from a life of worldly passions. Deliver me, O oh God. From the need to be understood from the need to be accepted, from the fear of being lonely, deliver me, O oh God. From the fear of serving others, from the fear of death or trial, from the fear of humility, deliver me, O oh God. I want to be delivered. If you want to be delivered this weekend, and say, God, here, Lord, take my life. Deliver me somehow this weekend. I don't know how it's going to look like, but somehow this weekend, work a mighty thing in my life and deliver me from the, 
from the things of this world and expectations of other people so I can follow you. If that's your desire, I'm going to invite you. Will you stand and say, God, please take my life. Father, thank you that you're so good. Thank you for your goodness so we won't want anything else. Lord, deliver us. Please deliver us. This is our prayer. As everyone here in this room is pleading in our hearts, deliver us, O oh Lord. We thank you that you already answered our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.